Hello and welcome to Voices in Innovation from GigaOM. I'm your host, Johnny Baldisberger, and today I am joined by analyst Stowe Boyd, who's here to talk about his yes, report, yes. The Key Criteria for Evaluating Collaborative Whiteboards. Uh, and we, we mentioned that this report was coming the last time you were on the show. So mm-hmm. welcome. How are you doing today, Stowe? I'm great. Uh, it's an exciting, exciting topic. Uh, I was just like walking by the porch of a neighbor of mine and the guy's an educator and we were talking about the changes in education and so on. And we started talking about work boards. <laughs> it's funny. It's uh, pretty much in a lot of people's minds because of, well, pandemic related issues, obviously. So let's, let's start at the very top. I like, I like to do this. Explain to me what are collaborative work boards? What are, what are these digital whiteboards? Well, originally the notion of a digital whiteboard was exactly that. That is, um, instead of using, or as an augmentation of an actual whiteboard that you might have in a conference room, you know, with markers and erasers and so on, um, as you may recall, this might be something you still do. People would use one of those old timey physical whiteboards, analog whiteboards, and they would take a picture of it later and they would store that as a digital representation of like a brainstorming session, right? Well, relatively quickly, people said, well, we could do this so it's digital so that, you know, something is tracking what we draw on the boards. And people have come up with all these elaborate gizmos where you put the markers in little, you know, things with magnets and they could figure out what you were drawing on the board uh, by that mechanism. But then ultimately we started to develop touch sensitive screens. Uh, You know, people would build these large format touch sensitive gizmos that would be put into conference rooms and you would still write on them with, uh, you know, a touch sensitive marker and a touch sensitive eraser or whatever. But the notion is that you are manipulating a digital representation of the information. Um, and that's sort of caught on, but not, not really. Okay, so uh, there's a lot of things that make that you know, difficult. First of all, you have to have one of these large format screens, which are really expensive. And once again, you have to go into a conference room at a HQ or something, and people have to stand together more or less. Uh, to do it. It would had to be a, you know, synchronous face-to-face kind of event. Um, well, relatively quickly as, you know, people started running into those barriers, a bunch of the innovators in the space said, well, let's just do it all in software. That is, um, let's create something that runs in a browser or as a, an app um, where you can do the same sorts of things. You can have a, a, a distributed meeting with people all over the world and have that brainstorming session and so on, and everyone can contribute on their own devices. Um, That was the sort of first breakthrough. And uh, that led to a real awareness of the benefits of having uh, digital whiteboards, right? So that was still when it was a digital whiteboard. Now, what has happened in recent years is, especially with some of the innovators in this space, they added more and more functionality so they could chat with people while you're doing it. You could have streaming video while you're doing it. You could integrate uh, other applications so you could drag a doc into the, the canvas 
that you're using. Uh, they started to make the canvases infinite. That is, they're of infinite size. You can zoom in and zoom out. Um, uh, and here's the big breakthrough. You could start to use them asynchronously. That is, a team of people working on some project might have periodic synchronous meetings, but also when they're outside of meetings, they're just working, they would be adding stuff, modifying things, adding more information, updating things in these visual representations of, let's say, a project status or a design for a product or whatever. And with that break, the movement away from primarily synchronous meetings to asynchronous collaboration, that's when they started to be, from my viewpoint, work boards. They're not principally a mechanism for synchronous augmentation of a meeting. They've become more and more a digital repository of information that captures a whole bunch of social interaction and other information, and also increasingly pulling information from other sources like uh, documents, imagery, movies, almost anything you can imagine. A Trello, you know, board of, with tasks on it, for example. So that's where we're at today. And of course, the pandemic has just fanned the flames of interest in this because now people can't go, first of all, they can't go to a conference room in their headquarters and have a brainstorming session. But, and so they're all working remotely, but also people have immediately found the benefits of being able to use this kind of tool as a way to collaborate asynchronously, you know, independently adding things and, and then periodically, yes, having a meeting. You know, when you, when you first sort of mentioned this subject to me, I was, I was a little confused because I was like, well, things like Google Docs or OneDrive, uh, things like ScreenShare, doesn't it already cover all of that? But as you, just now as you started to describe all the different things that they were doing, all the different uh, utilities and integrations, it sounds like something I desperately need. <laughs> <laughs> like it, 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 it pulls together all those different things and at the same time allows it to be asynchronous, which as someone who collaborates with creative teams uh, around the globe, like you have to be able to do that. There's no way I can talk to, uh, you know, a designer in Australia and get a answer immediately. I need them to be able to answer when they're able. Um, so it's, it's really sounds fascinating. Let me ask you this. What is the scale that these things are operating on? Because it sounds like something that, you know, someone as small as a two-person team and something as large as a 50-person team would want to be able to take uh, advantage of. Where, where are these work boards as far as scalability and price range for, uh, for uh, organizations? Well, you know, all of these companies... Uh, have different levels of, you know, prices that are based on combination of more seats and more functionality. Um, 
And, you know, as you step up these scales, you get more and more controls in the hands of administrators. So uh, if you're a really large corporation, you get one of these enterprise licenses and you can have an unlimited number of administrators and you can do all kinds of bulk kinds of things like integrating things with your active directory or whatever mechanism you have for identity management inside your company. Um, and at the very lowest level, you have, you know, functionally or really free solutions that are designed for a very small teams of people to do things. So it's, it's, it's scalar. Um, it's, it's, you know, equivalent in price in general to doing something like Microsoft 365, right? As you, you know, if you start with just one person, it's going to cost you, you know, you know, less than $10 a month per seat kind of thing. Um, as you go up, you know, it, it, you get more and more functionality and the price per seat goes down, but all of a sudden a company might be paying hundreds of thousands of dollars a year because they have, you know, a hundred thousand users. So it's all over the place. Um, the interesting fact is regarding scaling, you know, stepping away from pricing, there's a couple of obvious ways that scale works. Uh, these systems are hosted on top of, you know, things like AWS or, or Microsoft. So they, they have foundationally very, you know, good scaling capabilities. So that, that's not something you should really worry about. Um, but the other mechanism for scaling is the obvious one. You can have any number, depending on what your you know, pricing plan is, you can have any number of given whiteboards or spaces, whatever you want to call them. They, they all have different names for them. And you can have, in most cases, any number of whiteboards in those spaces, those projects or whatever you want to call them. And so you can have a large company might have tens of thousands of these different sessions, if you will, ongoing at any given time, and you can control access to uh, those things on a identity basis. So only the people that are invited or have certain kinds of permissions in the company can in fact get on the executive planning whiteboard or whatever it is, you know, so you have all those kinds of identity controls and they can have it finer grained. A lot of these people support the notion of guest accounts, that is people who are not members of the company domain, but can in fact be invited and join these, uh, these, uh, these uh, whiteboards, these uh, work boards, and um, you can monitor them very carefully, you know, independently of everybody else. So if you step up to those kinds of more enterprisey kind of plans, you have more and more controls. Um, but all of them, you know, have identity-based roles so you can invite people to a whiteboard and they can't edit. They can only watch a presentation there, for example. Or you can make other people capable of being able to annotate or, uh, you know, add a post-it note to something, but they can't change, you know, the fundamental background, for example. So it's, it's really kind of fascinating, the, the, the ways in which they provide the capability to scale. It sounds pretty modular, uh, something that you can customize to, to your enterprise's needs or your organization's needs. Uh, is that true or is it more a, a case of looking for the right solution? Well, they have um, some, you know, a bunch of the leaders, market leaders, um, have developed what I call smart templates, right? So you can have a template, for example, 
uh, a two by two matrix that you use in your company to do SWOT analysis, for example, right? Um, but it's not necessarily just a, a backdrop with you know lines and words on it. Uh, it can have its own rules, right? And so, for example, you could have a template um, with you know, let's say another kind of matrix or some kind of a diagram or a business canvas or whatever you'd like, you can invent these things or, you know, get them from the, the vendors who have provide libraries of these things, but they can have rules in them. So for example, you could allow people to create post-it notes and put them in different places on the board and the, the template will align the post-it notes in an ordered way. So you can't make a mess, for example, or you know, a rule like um, people could vote on a post-it note and they would reorder themselves on the template based on the number of votes they have. So, you know, a human being could do that, moving them around. You could do, imagine doing that in a conference room, you know, with post-it notes on the whiteboard. But here the, uh, the templates are smart enough to be able to do things like that. So, for example, you could say, this is the way we want to do post-mortems on projects we've done um, with clients. And you can impose a bunch of rules so that when you're interacting around this post-mortem, you can require that certain things have to happen in a certain way. It's kind of fascinating because it starts to be almost like automation. I mean, you're not doing it in an automated fashion, like a workflow that routes things to people and uh, whatever, but it imposes rules so that, you know, people who are doing some activity, um, their activity is channeled based on the rules of the, the template. It's really kind of fascinating. And I think that's actually, I, as I said in the uh, report, uh, this is one of the biggest areas of, of interest and, you know, the, the area of competition in the space is who can make the smartest smart templates to help people and how can you put that capability in the hands of your users so they can develop their own. And it's, it's really, you know, it's, it's the place that things are happening right now. Right. So uh, I go over this every time we talk about a key criteria report, uh, but the, the, key criteria report basically breaks into to three aspects, right? The table stakes, which are uh, features that we expect the technology to have to be viable in the marketplace. Um, <clears throat> the key criteria, which are really the things that are differentiating the uh, technology, where these various solutions can gain a leg up on one another and uh, distinguish themselves in the marketplace and emerging technology uh, where things are headed. Uh, so table stakes, I don't think there's anything too surprising here. Uh, the ability to co-create, to collaborate right. in the name of the technology, right? Right, um, to be able to and, draw a whiteboard, you know, like yeah. we're writing on a whiteboard. Can yeah. I draw lines and, and so on? Can I create a post-it note? Editing features, presentation, information. Again, very, very easy to understand why these are the table stakes. Right. Now, key criteria where you start to get some interesting things going on. Uh, you just mentioned your smart, uh, your smart templates. 
Right, which is uh, a it's it's a key criteria, but it's also an area of real emerging power. So it's an area we're going to see a lot more of in you know the coming you know eighteen months. Yeah, and I see it in their emerging technology model based templates uh, right. system of record. I I assume that's uh, uh, tracking changes, which right in as someone who works in research and reports there's nothing I need more in my life than an ability to track changes. <laughs> you know, that's actually an area that this, this space is relatively weak in. There's only really? a few of the vendors that have some kind of versioning model. I mean, it's, it's an area that we're going to see happen, I think more in the future. Mm-hmm. So you want to be able to go back to last Thursday's version. And with some of these vendors, you can't do it at all. And you mentioned uh, integration of other applications, uh, which is also an emerging technology. Well, that's actually, that's actually a really key area of differentiation uh, okay. in, the, in, the, in the key criteria today, which is um, all the vendors have some capability for integration, often in the case of large vendors with integrating with their own technology. So, for example, when you're looking at Google's Jamboard, yes, you can integrate with a Google Drive doc, right? But lamentably, some of those larger companies haven't looked outside very much. So it's uh, the other companies, the smaller pure play startups that have really shine, who really shine in their range of integrations with other kinds of technologies. So, um, you know, can, does your tool integrate with work management tools? So I want to pull in a board from Trello. Well, there's a handful of people that do that, and they're all these smaller pure play companies, uh, the ones that are raising all kinds of venture money these days, <laughs> by the way. Um, and so in those companies, you see the largest spread of integrations, and they are the ones that I think are you know, the ones that are growing the quickest and attracting people the most. Because after all, if you're somebody that's interested in, let's say you're a product company, so you want to be able to integrate with your product design tools. You want to be able to integrate with your ticketing system, like from Zendesk or whatever, you know. So there's, you know, in a, in a sense, you know, there's an infinite number of things you could potentially integrate with. Um, and the, you know, the leading uh, members of this uh, this this competitive space are the ones who have in, expended the, made the greatest investments in integrations with the broadest collection of software. Now you mentioned uh, the people raising venture uh, capital and venture capital. We mentioned that last week when we had Enrico here, we were talking about uh, Kubernetes. Nope. We were talking not about Kubernetes. We were talking about scale out file storage. We have a lot of reports on the, uh, <laughs> on the horizon. So uh, I mentioned that now because I wanted to mention, you know, a common phrase is follow the money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so you have a fantastically difficult job uh, in reporting on and researching work technology because it is one of the fastest evolving uh, technologies out there. It's because it's something everyone does and has to do on a near daily basis. It's something that we find the issues with and we find the pain points with quickly. That's why things that are emerging technology in this report are going to be 
key criteria or even table stakes by the time the GigaOM radar comes out. <laughs> Actually, the radar is in production. It's it's written, so it's it's almost out the door. So, but uh, but I, I mentioned all this to say when we say follow the money in this, it's because the people that are getting venture capital are the ones that are doing the big interesting things. Not always the big companies. They're the, the little startups that are really bringing interesting innovation to the space. Uh, so I think that's a fascinating way to look at uh, technology and what's happening. It's following the money. Right. Uh, there's one more key criteria I want to ask you about real quick. It says here, hosting options. Mm-hmm. So, so why is that important? Why does that, uh, what big difference does that make when someone's considering these collaborative work boards? Um, I think to some extent it's a historical thing. All right. So when, as I said, in the past, large corporations typically wanted to have these large format touch sensitive, you know, gizmos that they would put in their conference rooms. Um, it was also the case they wanted to run the software locally. They wanted it in their, their own server park or their own, you know, their own uh, server setup. And so on-premise for a lot of those companies was a requirement. And in, in fact, it made sense way back when, all right? Um, after all, you get these devices, you have to wire them to something, right? And uh, a lot of companies had stuff that they considered highly proprietary and they didn't want to trust uh, the, the, the vendor of the software or somebody else with their precious, you know, corporate strategy or whatever. And so that has held consistent with some of the vendors who started in those, in those days. Um, however, over time, as things like, you know, AWS, Microsoft, you know, other cloud solutions have come to the fore and have proven themselves to be equally or more secure and scalable and lower cost. Um, a lot of the vendors, even the ones that had on-premise solutions to begin with have migrated. And so they have created a setup where you can just turn it on, on a shared model in the, in the, in the cloud or a single instance model in the cloud. And there's a couple of other hybrids that people have come up with. You know, you can have your data stored separately from everybody else's in the cloud, even though you're running on a uh, shared instance on whatever hosting provider they're, they're working in. So there's a, a range of options. Now, here's the thing, the large vendors who build large format devices and small vendors that do that are the ones that are most likely to have had in the past an on-premise option, right? Um, people that never built those, built a pure software play, small startups that have only started in the last few years after the time when solutions like AWS had become sort of the conventional norm of where software should run, they often don't have an on-premise solution at all. They don't have any option except a shared instance in their implementation that runs on top of, you know, fill in the blank, Oracle, Microsoft, Amazon, whatever. Um, so there's a big range there. So 
there are some people for some reason or not other, they really want on-premise and they want large format touch sensitive screens, there are options for them. But the great majority of people now using uh, work boards are not even considering that. They're, they're saying, fine, you know, Amazon's controls for security and so on is good enough for me and I don't want the headache. And oh, by the way, I don't even have a, you know, a server anywhere in my building. I have like, I've got 5,000 people working at my design firm, but we don't have a, you know, our own server farm in the back. So the great majority of people don't care. And so that's, you know, another issue of evolution. But if you're some really large engineering company and you have a server in the back with all of your engineering diagrams, um, you'd like to have some mechanism that you can integrate it. So maybe you want to have it all running in your own cloud, or maybe you just need a way to have those diagrams be accessible so that you can bring them into a work board and look at them. And there's other mechanisms to do that today that don't involve necessarily running software on premise. That's fascinating. Um, the whole, the whole, you know, you mentioned at the beginning that this was a really interesting topic and uh, I have to agree. It's been enlightening. Uh, I went from kind of a not really understanding why this was such a big deal to now really just having to have this in my life. Um, We'll see. We'll see what I can do to to talk at my bosses. Uh, so thank you so much for joining me today. I wanted to mention that you can this report that we are talking about today is available right now on gigaohm.com. You can buy the single report, but I really strongly recommend subscribing to the full body of GigaOhm research because not only will you get this report, the key criteria for you. Not only will you get this report, the key criteria for evaluating collaborative whiteboards, you'll also be able to get the GigaOhm radar for the same subject when that comes out, but you'll also get the uh, key criteria for evaluating people analytic platforms, work management, evaluating work management automation, shared inbox. We have hundreds of reports by Stowe, by Enrico Signoretti, by Ned Bellavance, by David Linthicum, all these brilliant analysts writing incredible research that will help you maintain your own edge, develop your own key criteria and uh, table stakes in your organization or enterprise. Uh, so again, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been enlightening. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And for everyone out there, I am Johnny for GigaOM, and this has been Voices in Innovation. Just listen.